Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. I'm Mark Levin. Our number, 877-381-3811. The reason the president is upset with Twitter... And he should be upset with Twitter. It's because he supports free speech. We've had media outlets from CNN and MSNBC and far more than that demanding that Twitter reject free speech. Look, folks, we can't have people sitting there deciding if something is misleading or not misleading. Some things are not that clear. But when you have a debate, it's not about leading, misleading or not misleading. It's about promoting a viewpoint and promoting ideas and promoting an approach. And Twitter has made what I consider in the long run a fatal step here. It's going to now be an arbitrator. It's supposed to be a site where people can communicate with each other pretty much whatever they want. You know, as long as it's not pornography, as long as it's not criminal... That's what free speech is about. We used to understand this. I can remember a long, long time ago when the ACLU and the editorial pages of our major metropolitan newspapers would defend Nazis and neo-Nazis and Klansmen marching in Jewish neighborhoods and black neighborhoods. I remember that. I remember when people used to say, look, this is abhorrent, this speech, but I support speech. Because it's a slippery slope to start regulating this stuff. Now, this isn't a First Amendment issue because Twitter's not the government. But it is a free speech issue. If you hold yourself out to the public as effectively a communications platform, well, then don't hold yourself out as a communications platform. You're making money off of all of us, all of us who use Twitter through their ads, through selling information about us. They make an enormous amount of money. I mean, this guy who founded Twitter is a multi-billionaire. Look, I don't have any problem with it. Be a multi-billionaire, big deal. But I do have a problem with when they treat the president the way they're treating the president. Because he, he rejects voting by mail, as do I. Look, folks, this is the way voting was supposed to work. You show up in person physically. You show an identification that has to match with your face. Then you can vote to make sure you are who you say you are. We do, in fact, have a history in this country of illegal voting. How do you think Lyndon Johnson became a United States senator? How do you think 
Joe Kennedy Sr. through West Virginia and Cook County. This isn't a joke. These things happen. They really do. And we have elections that are very, very close sometimes for the United States Senate, for Congress, and for President. And we have the Democrat Party that has been, for decades now, gaming this system, trying to figure out ways to take advantage of the voting process. Can you name one time in the last 20 years that the Democrat Party at the national level, or even the state level, but I'm familiar at the national level, that has proposed anything to ensure that those who vote are supposed to vote or that the ballots are protected. I can't think of any. We get earlier and earlier voting, 45 days before the election. I mean, somebody could have a heart attack and die, and you've already voted. Why do you need to vote 45 days before the election? Now we have, your vote can count a week after the election, called harvesting. So what do they do? They flip six or seven congressional districts in California. We're watching this. We're not nuts. So here we are. The Wuhan China virus, and what's come out of this? This push for voting by mail. The Democrats push it, so the media push it. The media push it, so the Democrats push it. And they say, there's no evidence. There's no evidence that people can cheat. There's more evidence about voter fraud through mail than there is about climate change, uh, man-made climate change, this much I can say. But there was a man, he wasn't even that long ago, 16 years ago, who was on C-SPAN, who rejected this kind of voting. It was paper ballots, period, let alone vote by mail, because there is no serious way to oversee vote by mail. There isn't. You don't really know who's voting. While they signed all that, you don't even know if the legitimate person received the ballot. The incompetence of local voting officials, the incompetence of state voting officials alone is problematic. We have $125 billion, listen, according to the GAO, in waste, fraud, and abuse every single year in the federal government. Multiple Medicare payments being made. Fraudulent Medicare payments being made. $125 billion. And we expect the same apparatus at the state level to be able to effectively handle vote by mail, even under the best conditions. But we're supposed to pretend there aren't people out there who are violating the rules. Now, here's Jerry Nadler in 2004. Jerry Nadler. Before he had that stomach operation. Jerry Nadler in 2004. Cut one, go. That in my experience in New York, uh, paper ballots are extremely susceptible to fraud. And at least with the old clunky voting machines that we have in New York, um, the, the de- deliberate fraud is way down uh, compared to paper. When, they, when the machines break down and they vote on paper, we've had real problems. So that's a, that is, there's got to be a way. There's got to be a way. I'm simply observing that as a problem. There's got to be a way 
of getting the best of our methodologies. But in fact, the MIT studies have shown that hand-counted paper ballots are among the most reliable. And at least if if there's a miscount, you can discover it. You can't discover miscounts with these uh, machines. Maybe optical scan with paper. I, I want a paper trail. I want paper somewhere. But pure paper with no machines... Uh, I can show you. Pre- I can show you experience, which uh, would make your head spin. Okay, show us. Now, here's the thing: it's not even a matter of properly counting. And I'm not opposed to paper ballots. You go in to the precinct and vote your paper ballot. I'm all for that. We're not even talking about that. We're talking about ballots mailed to you. Fill them out and mail them back. Gee, I wonder what could go wrong anywhere in between and around that process. Do you think? What kind of voter security is there under such circumstances? And why is it that the Democrats will do anything humanly possible to stop people from physically showing up, showing an identification, showing they have a right, a right to vote? That's right. But they object to it. For a thousand phony reasons. You show a voter ID that's racist? How stupid is this? How absurd is this? When the entire Democrat political agenda is about identification. It's about um, the government keeping track of your health records. Your financial records. Uh, Most major cities have cameras all over the place. Oh sure, they're worried about voter ID. That must be racist. It's appalling. So how did this become such a big issue all of a sudden? Because the Democrats want it to be an issue right before the general election. Tell me. I told you before, the Democrat Party is a very evil institution, historically and today. Very evil. It is the funnel through which the tyrannical elements in this country organize there's enough suckers who join that party and follow that party this is a party that's gone from supporting slavery to supporting quote unquote democratic socialism when is it going to support liberty when is it going to support constitutionalism when is it going to support free markets when is it going to support those things that are fundamental to this nation Never. That's what fundamental transformation is all about. And I've talked about that over the years since that was spewed by Barack Milhouse Benito Obama. So the Democrats are all behind this now and they support it. The president says this is susceptible to widespread fraud. Twitter says, uh, I'm sorry, that's not correct. And therefore, we will put a label on your tweets about this, Mr. President. Matter of fact, we're going to put a label on a lot of your tweets. That they're factually inaccurate. And we need to track these down. I'm going to follow up on this a little bit later. Uh, we'll be right back.
At Hillsdale College, faith and learning are integrated in pursuit of a common end. And I've been talking a lot about four pillars of the Hillsdale College mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Today, I'd like to focus on faith. As the founders of our nation knew, God is indeed the first authority and the motive toward which all learning moves. Hillsdale understands that we come to really know things through reason and faith, and their students are taught to pursue truth through both. Founded in 1844 by Christians, students of all faiths are welcome at Hillsdale College and always have been. How does the college teach the essentials of the Christian faith and religion? All students must take a course, the Western theological tradition, as part of Hillsdale's rigorous core curriculum. The college also offers majors in religion, philosophy and religion, and Christian studies. Hillsdale's campus is a welcoming place in which to discuss and practice faith. Respectful dialogue among Christians of different denominations and with students of non-Christian faiths is just one hallmark of this stellar college. Now to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. We have a wonderful man as a guest here. I've admired him from afar for some time here. He's the ambassador to Germany. He's the just retired former acting director of national intelligence, Rick Grinnell. How are you, sir? I'm great. Mark, thanks for having me. This is my uh, very first interview, media interview, post uh Acting DNI. Well, I really appreciate that, and there are literally millions and millions of people who are going to be able to hear what you have to say without the media dissecting it for us. And um, you've been through quite of uh, quite a few months over there as DNI, and uh, I want to go through a little bit this of this with you. First of all, what do you make of Adam Schiff and his dealings with you and his dealing with intelligence generally? Well, look, you know, I think that we have got a a, a real problem, uh, and I heard this from career intelligence officials, where the Hill in general, both sides of the aisle, have manipulated the raw intelligence. You know, intelligence is an estimate. We get it right, and sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we underestimate, and sometimes we overestimate. But what what we expect from intelligence officials are their honest assessments of when they know something and also when they don't, when they say, we don't have this. I have been dealing with career intelligence officials who literally have been saying uh, they don't want to brief the Hill because they don't want their careers to be ruined. We've had several people refuse to go to the Hill and brief because the atmosphere is so toxic where what they have to say is manipulated and leaked and cherry-picked. And so I, I have been very forceful with the, the typical, uh, you know, politicians from the Hill that are in charge of oversight of, of Intel and been very firm on them saying, don't do this. Don't, don't manipulate. And one of the things that I did very early on in the congressional briefing to Congress, after hearing from the career intelligence officials being very nervous about briefing uh, the Hill, we put forward an unclassified fact sheet that we would leave behind with the members of Congress that listed what we had just said, knowing full well that 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 fact sheet would be leaked to the media. But it was important to the intelligence community officials to have it down and to make sure that no one could manipulate their words. 
And so I think that's a long answer to say I'm very concerned about uh, the, the, the Hill and the leaks that are coming out of the Hill, just as much as I'm concerned about the few leaks that keep coming out of the Intel community. And you, had, you initially, you crossed swords with Schiff. More recently, you've crossed swords with uh, Mark Warner, the senator from Virginia. Is this why? Because of the, the effort to manipulate you, to manipulate intelligence, to get some kind of conclusion? Well, look, what, what I would say is, you know, we can't do oversight by uh, having members of Congress write letters uh, written clearly by their staff and and then leak those letters before they actually get uh, to me or get 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 answered. It's it, it's a clear message that this is about grandstanding. That this is not about oversight and trying to get to the bottom of information. You know, look, I, when I came into this job, uh, I came in as a consumer consumer of intelligence. Uh, my first intel briefing was in 2001. Um, I started having briefings, intelligence briefings, before many of the people who are on the oversight committee. I've been a consumer inside the UN Security Council. Uh, running the the uh, embassy in, uh, with uh, our embassy in, in Berlin, the largest economy in Europe and Germany, uh, with a very strong and large uh, presence there. I've been dealing with intelligence, utilizing it as a policymaker. I can't think of someone better to to help reform the intelligence community than somebody who's been receiving it as a consumer, who knows when it's good, when it's bad, and how important it is for policymakers to utilize it and make sure that it's in a form. All right, Rick, we have a hard break. We're going to come back after the break. I want to pursue this with you. I also want to pursue the most recent declassifications that took place. We'll be right back. At Hillsdale College, faith and learning are integrated in pursuit of a common end. And I've been talking a lot about four pillars of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Today, I'd like to focus on faith. As the founders of our nation knew, God is indeed the first authority and the motive toward which all learning moves. Hillsdale understands that we come to really know things through reason and faith. And their students are taught to pursue truth through both. Founded in 1844 by Christians, students of all faiths are welcome at Hillsdale College and always have been. How does the college teach the essentials of the Christian faith and religion? All students must take a course, the Western theological tradition, as part of Hillsdale's rigorous core curriculum. The college also offers majors in religion, philosophy and religion, and Christian studies. Hillsdale's campus is a welcoming place in which to discuss and practice faith. Respectful dialogue among Christians of different denominations and with students of non-Christian faiths is just one hallmark of the stellar college. Now to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Levinforhillsdale.com. The Mark Levin Show, where the Reagan Coalition meets every day. Call now, 877-381-3811. This is our exclusive, the ambassador's first interview since leaving uh, as acting director of the National Intelligence, and we're very honored to have him. 
Uh, Rick Grinnell, I want to dig into some of these things here. Some of the information you declassified, and then the Justice Department, and in some cases the Senate released, legitimately, uh, has exposed some very terrible things. Number one, it's exposed that there's not a single senior official in the Obama administration who testified before Congress behind closed doors who actually believed there was any evidence for Russia-Trump collusion. That's number one. Other information that was declassified uh, during your term was information about unmasking. You know, I talked about unmasking years ago. The extent of it was and is to me, with respect to Mike Flynn, mind-boggling. And you've also declassified, we don't have access to it yet. Uh, That'll depend on, I guess, how the Attorney General decides to handle it. Uh, You've declassified the phone conversations between Russian Ambassador Kislyak and Michael Flynn, and what I'm hearing is they're really uh, nothing burgers. But you have uh, you have decided these particular documents and these particular transcripts should be made public, and may well have changed the course of history. I mean, this has exposed an enormous problem uh, within our government. Is that one of the reasons that you decided to release or declassify this information? Number one, and number two. What do you make of what you saw? Yeah, these are these are very good questions, and I would just say that you know, as someone who has been consuming intelligence since two thousand and one, I often find that things are overclassified, and uh, it it tends to go down uh, the road where we protect not just sources and methods, which is incredibly important, but also reputations. And that's where it really angers me, because what happens whether uh, there are mess-ups at the FBI or the CIA or the NSA or ODNI, uh, we have a problem with the public. And I'm, I'm somebody who is not uh, from Washington, D.C. I don't live here. Um, I, I, I'm here temporarily, and I can tell you that the people outside of Washington, D.C. don't want to have governments that are weaponized, uh, and and this clearly happened. When you read the transcripts, like I did, and you see what was classified and put away, and then you, you actually see, as you alluded to, individuals who, when they're under oath, say, I see nothing, I I see no collusion, there's nothing, there's not one thing that I see. And then I see those people on television saying the opposite. It angers me as a citizen of this country. It angers me because what happens is you take information and you, you weaponize it, and it's an elite thing where you keep the information in the back and you pretend like the public doesn't need it. And uh, this, is, this is a problem. We can't overclassify things just to protect reputations. We do have a problem, and I have to be careful here on, on, uh, on how I say this, but we do have a problem when um, I see that certain parts of the investigation were, were tamped down uh, through classification and edited through classification, and, and then the public misses the whole story. They only see part of it on purpose. Now, which investigation strategy. are we talking about? Well, well I, let, me, let me just say uh, this in general. 
yeah. um, and not be too specific. All right. So, so what I what I want to what I want to make clear is is that those of us who are in these roles who have access to this information, it's incredibly important to remember that we work for the American people. The paychecks are from the American people. We have classified information. We have an intelligence community, which are all very important, and we have people who are amazing at their job. Some of the smartest people I know working hard to protect. Uh, the United States and Americans, and we owe them a debt of gratitude. But there are certain people, bad apples, and I would argue that there are only a few of them, and that the rest of the intelligence community is really getting angry and they're beginning to police themselves and out people who are doing this. But, but the overclassification is the result of people protecting reputations of tradecraft or agencies. And, and, and I, in particular, found a couple of things that I'm trying to, that, that I was uh, trying to get out that I have declassified and I've left for, uh, for John Radcliffe to, to look at as well so that there would be two people looking at this and making the determination. I've made my recommendation that some of this still needs to come out. Some more information where early on in the Russian collusion investigation, early on there were people who raised red flags, and many of those people were silenced or their words classified and put away. So we've seen that through some of the stuff that's, that's come out, but, but I believe that if we want the American public to believe in the intelligence agencies and grow our intelligence agencies because they're good and they're, they're going to protect the United States, then we have to improve the reputation of the current process. What happened at the FBI, what's happened in some other agencies, is an outrage. And we have to fix it. And I spent eight years at the U.N. and learned one thing about uh, being at the U.N. The truth and reconciliation process is very important. I used to think that it was kind of this left-wing idea, but it's really important for people to come clean and let the public realize the mistakes that were made. That's how you improve the reputation. You know, Rick Grinnell, I was a chief of staff to an attorney general, and I saw a lot of intelligence information came across my desk during the Reagan years. I cannot remember ever, ever anything like this. Anything like this. Are you able to get a sense for, what, what was it, the environment, the culture? Was it the, the political elements within the, uh, the Obama administration? Or did it predate the Obama administration? Are you able to put your hands on this? These are all really good questions, and I think it's going to take us uh, some more time to, to come clean and to figure out exactly what went wrong. But I will say that uh, as much as I believe this is a few bad apples um, who try to utilize arms uh, of, the, of the U.S. government to weaponize uh, what, what they wanted to happen, the political weapon in this process, um, as much as I think that it's just a few bad apples, there, are also, there, there is also a culture of what I would say middle management that looks the other way. And, and it's this process in Washington, D.C., where it just kind of uh, gets layered on and layered on year after year. And it's very hard for an outsider to come in uh, to the system because of 
union rules, because of government federal laws, uh, because you can't be fired, and the jobs are all in Washington, D.C., which I think is a real problem, because the, the, when you hire, you're hiring from the same pool of people in Washington, D.C. It, it is prohibitive of outsiders to come in and get some of these jobs. So you don't have fresh eyes. You don't have somebody new. Look what they did when I came in and was appointed. They immediately said, this is an outsider who has no experience. And I heard that over and over, Mark, from every, most every uh, news outlet. No experience. No experience. That's not true. I have different experience. I've been a consumer of intelligence since 2001, longer than a lot of the, the people who are in charge of overseeing intelligence from, from Congress. But that didn't matter to them because I didn't grow up in the system, and, and therefore an outsider coming with fresh eyes is like the enemy because you're, you're going to look at things differently. I will say, though, on a, on a good note, there are many career intelligence officials who know this problem who are trying to clean it up. Much of the reform that I did was because multiple studies from career officials were talking about the bloat of ODNI and wanting to change it. It was the political people and the politicians that were ignoring the problems, and the career people were clamoring for reform, clamoring for reform. When I came in and started to do this, they attacked the, – the, the politicians and the media attacked me for being – political or politicizing the process when I was the one who was listening to the career officials. Again, four internal studies over the past two years were calling for major reform of ODNI. And no one before me was able to do this and just say, you know, hey, pull the trigger on, on these ideas. Many of these ideas are, are good. This built up from career officials. Let me, let me ask you, before we run out of time, I want to ask you this. What I do not try to do in this program is set people up. What I try to do is get information as best I can. My question to you is this. I've read the declassified information. It's very significant. It goes to very high levels, some of the information we're talking about. Is it possible, really, the top officials of the White House, I mean, you have people, top officials of the White House participating in some of this, is it really possible that a president of the United States wouldn't have some sense of what's taking place in his administration when you have an FBI and a CIA, uh, an NSA, when you have newspaper articles uh, about the FISA court and leaks going? Is it really possible, Rick Grinnell, with all your experience and knowledge, that a president wouldn't know at least the general parameters of what's taking place? Yeah, look, I, I, I tried to just look at the facts. Uh, especially in this job, and, and try to, to do just that. What are the facts and what are the points? So I think this is a very good question that we have to get to the bottom of. Uh, but, but make no mistake, what I would say is what happened in terms of general parameters, there is no possible way we, that, that it wasn't uh, known inside the White House mm-hmm. and that multiple la- layers of people knew about this over time, and we're, we're completely aware. Now, the question is going to be, was this directed or was this uh, kind of information sharing? Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we got to get to the bottom of. And in this, we're talking about 
a multitude of things that come under this whole general nomenclature of Russia collusion, whether it's unmasking, whether it's the FISA court, whether it's people put into the Trump campaign and so forth. Let me, let me ask you this. Your time, although brief, you, you have, you've got a word, good working relationship in the intelligence community. Do, do the people in the intelligence community dislike Donald Trump for some reason? Uh, is it is what what is I mean, you have I, this I have whistleblower say, and everything. Yeah, go ahead. I have to say that I don't know their political views because yeah. most of them are, are incredibly uh, professional. What I do know is, is that an overwhelming majority hate the leaks. They hate the manipulation coming from Congress. They hate how uh, how oversight is done through a letter and and then you don't talk to anybody about it. And the the briefings are gotcha briefings. Um, that's not good. It's that's what's politicizing the process. I I never think that transparency is political. Transparency is what the American public wants. Anyone who says differently is being political. Mm-hmm. All right. I know you have to go. I want to thank you very very much for your time and doing your first interview here. And I want to also say this to you. You're a courageous man. You're a wise man, and you're a patriot. And I want to thank you for everything you've been doing. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for allowing me to have so much time. All right. God bless. That is the recently former acting director of the National Intelligence. Uh, he is the current ambassador to Germany. Previous to that, he worked uh, for the administration at the UN, uh, Rick Rennell. And um, much of what we're now learning my words, about this coup effort, or at least it's been substantiated as a result of his efforts to declassify information that never should have been classified in the first place. He said some very, very important things during this interview. And you don't even have to read between the lines necessarily. And he was very careful and very lawful. And that includes the fact that some information was basically censured or dismissed or reduced in terms of its import while other information was promoted. Now this gives you a little bit of insight you didn't have before this interview. Other aspects of it, we'll take another look at it when we return. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. At Hillsdale College, faith and learning are integrated in pursuit of a common end. And I've been talking a lot about four pillars of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Today, I'd like to focus on faith. As the founders of our nation knew, God is indeed the first authority and the motive toward which all learning moves. Hillsdale understands that we come to really know things through reason and faith. And their students are taught to pursue truth through both. Founded in 1844 by Christians, students of all faiths are welcome at Hillsdale College and always have been. How does the college teach the essentials of the Christian faith and religion? All students must take a course, the Western Theological Tradition, as part of Hillsdale's rigorous core curriculum. The college also offers majors in religion, philosophy and religion, and Christian studies. Hillsdale's campus is a welcoming place in which to discuss and practice faith. Respectful dialogue among Christians of different denominations and with students of non-Christian faiths is just one hallmark of this stellar college. Now to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Levinforhillsdale.com. Com. 
You can also be sure that whatever Rick Rennell knows uh, in terms of uh, activities related to what's been revealed so far, uh, the Attorney General knows and knows more. Through the criminal investigation, it is a criminal investigation by the United States Attorney from Connecticut, Durham. So we learned a couple of things that come to mind. Number one, as I said uh, during, before the break, uh, that he was concerned that some of the information, the way it's come out, not, not through his recent declassification, but still, uh, there's information that is kind of downplayed while other information is promoted. Now that's very interesting. That tells me there's still one or two or three more shoes to drop. Secondly, also very importantly, which I think is obvious, when I asked him if somebody, how could the White House not know about these things, uh, he basically said it's really not possible because uh, even with, with information sharing, as I point out, you have senior officials at the Justice, uh, excuse me, in the White House and these other departments who are involved in this activity who know the, this information. I mean, it's almost absurd to believe the Oval Office didn't know anything. But his point was, it's really not a question of whether the president didn't know. The issue is who directed what, if anything. And that's what Dorm, I think, is digging in on. So that was two very important pieces of information. Plus, you got a sense for the man, his, his deep integrity and professionalism and his patriotism. He said, the more that we can have transparency to better and... And, it, and we have too much politicization of intelligence and intelligence officials, too much cherry-picking, too much leaking. And you see what he said. He's looking at this information. For instance, the testimony given on the Hill by senior administration officials in the Obama administration who are on TV misleading the American people about Russia collusion. And while under oath, in secret, they don't have a scintilla of evidence of any kind of Russia collusion or the president selling out to Vladimir Putin, or anything of the kind. Anything of the kind. So I would suggest to Twitter, if you're going to put little labels on stuff, anytime a Democrat opens their big mouth, anytime a big mouth on CNN or MSNBC is squawking away, you ought to label that one. The sleaze balls at the New York Slimes and the Washington Compost, they all deserve labels. Labels I can't even tell you right now. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. I'm Mark Levin. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Kevin McCarthy and Steve Scalise and Chip Roy and a handful of others have said, enough is enough, Nancy Pelosi. Time to show up for work and stop destroying the House of Representatives. And they brought a lawsuit. Kevin McCarthy, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back on. It's a pleasure. Tell everybody what's going on. What's going on, after 231 years, Congress is doing something different. They're endangering our Constitution just to ensure Pelosi has more power. They are allowing members of Congress to vote by proxy. 
meaning they don't have to come to work and they still get paid, meaning somebody from another state votes for that individual. And you've got to think about this. Think about what we went through. The yellow fever in 1793, the Civil War. This capital was burned during the War of 1812. The Spanish flu of 1918 and 911. Never did Congress flinch from their constitutional duties. They still met. But Nancy Pelosi, as we're planning to send astronauts to space, as states are opening up, we had only 12 Democrats miss the vote two weeks ago. Today, 71 Democrats miss the vote by just voting by proxy, staying home. This is amazing. Let's, let's, let's take a look at this. Voting by proxy, what they decided the other day, just the Democrats, because you all voted against it. What they yeah. decided the other day was you could have 20 Democrats, each with 10 proxies from 10 different congresspeople, uh, and that is a quorum. That controls the whole floor, passes anything. But that goes against our Constitution. Our Constitution, our country, expects us to convene just like we did all those other times. If you read Article 1, Section 4, Section 5, Section 6, it's very clear the founders believed we should assemble. Now, if you believe what the Democrats believe, that the House can write their own rules, then what stops them from saying women cannot vote on the floor? What stops them from saying Republicans only get half a vote? Or people with glasses can vote? Nothing stops them from doing that. The House can write their rules, but they cannot write something unconstitutional. Exactly. The, the House rules cannot trump the Constitution itself. And you know what, Kevin McCarthy, when you look at our history, they debated a long time in Philadelphia at the Constitutional Convention on what this Congress would look like, bicameral, and the House is the only purely, as purely as we can make it, democratic institution of them all, and she's destroyed it. She's destroyed it to take power. How could she ever pass $3 trillion with never going through a committee, no debate whatsoever, keep everybody home, and only bring them back for that? Now you have 71 members, and in her guidelines says you have to physically – you have to write that you physically can't make it here. So 71 members. Half of all the Democrats in California are not coming here. So that's 19 million people not being represented. People lend their voice to their member of Congress and hold them accountable. By the way, you're a congressman from California. Yeah. You, got it. You, know, you know where the airport is. Exactly. And I live in Bakersfield. And, it's a which harder is, for me to get there. Which is not a, it's not a hop, skip, and a jump. And I'll tell you something else. Last month, I flew down to Florida to see a family member and flew back. I'm going to tell you, airlines are the cleanest place on the face of the earth right now. They've never been cleaner. It's amazing. And they're taking care, and you can take it. So she's telling us, you know, I think about this, Congressman, seriously. Monday was Memorial Day. Yep. And we have young men and women. We've had 1.3, at a minimum, million people die for this country. For that Constitution. For that die, for, die for the Constitution. And look at this. We're going to have voting by mail. People can't get off their butts and go to a place. And we, have, we have intentionally... The Speaker of the House is becoming fascistic. She's insisting that the House not meet. You gave her a proposal for how to do this, like Walmart or like, or like, uh, <coughs> excuse me, or like Costco. A month ago. And she mm-hmm. still will not allow it. Mm-hmm. It's amazing to me. So they want to control our lives, but they can't even control their own lives. Now, this is the thing people need to understand, right, Congressman? That's this. She's writing all the bills. She is. And no one's seeing them. 
I mean, can you imagine? She put us in this 45-day under her COVID plan of using this proxy. So when it comes to the 4th of July, we won't even have the power to celebrate our freedoms because she controls them. Think about that for one moment. Um, I mean, it's unbelievable. Yes. Now That's let me ask you this. We're, we're, gonna, we're, we're suing. Uh, we, Tell us about we, that. We've got to stand up for the Constitution. We hold our hand up and swear we'll abide by the Constitution. We cannot let this go forward. Now, let me ask you this, Leader uh, Kevin McCarthy. Do you think for one second, if they met in Philadelphia and they came up with this plan, that the Constitution would have been adopted? <laughs> Not one bit. Do you think a single state would have ratified a Constitution where a Speaker of the House could take iron-fisted control of the institution and write all the bills in her office? Think for one moment what people go through to be able to have the privilege. Less than 11,000 people in the history of America have ever had the privilege to be a member of Congress. I didn't know that. Yeah, there's more than 30 million people out of work right now. Yeah, you know what? They'd like to be able to show up for work and get paid. The Democrats now are staying home getting paid. They can phone this in. They can be at a fundraiser in their district, watch television, and send a proxy in to vote. I, you know, I hope the courts, it depends on what judge you get, but I, I hope the courts don't say, well, this is the political question doctrine. You guys work it out. This is a constitutional issue. This is not a political issue. They say the founders are constitution that we have to assemble. You know, you go two blocks from this Capitol, you can go into Starbucks and you can get your tea. You can walk over 100 yards in the Senate. They're meeting. It's only the House. Why? Because the speaker wants more power. And what that does is it alienates every person across this country because they can't hold their member accountable. They didn't vote for somebody in Utah to vote for them. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. They, they, they position themselves on the left. Count every vote. No, you don't count every vote. You count every legal vote. That's number one. And then number two, uh, the, the party of the people. Really? Well, you got a Politburo operating out of the House of Representatives right now run by the Speaker of the House from San Francisco, California. How representative of that of the American people? Now, you want to know the bright spot here? Yeah. We just showed something very shortly ago, something that has not been done in 22 years. We flipped the seat in California from Democrat to Republican. Mm-hmm. Less than a year and a half ago, they had won it by nine points. Mike Garcia, having never been elected before, a first-generation American, went to the Naval Academy, jet fighter pilot, ran against the Democrats' choice, state legislature and everywhere else. They changed the rules, whereas only an all-mail-in ballot, and he beat her by nine points. Every time the House has flipped, there's always been a special election before to sign it. In May of 2010, there was a race in Hawaii. And you know what? Republicans won it. In 2018, there was a race in Pennsylvania on a Republican seat. The Democrat won it. We just showed this. We can take the House back, especially with what? The Democrats promised they'd be different. They haven't been. They're now abusive of power. They're changing 231 years of history, let known going against the Constitution. They're taking the voice of the people back. It's not about opening up a campus. It's about bringing the voice back of the American public, restoring that. Listen, and the bottom line is, you and I know this, the, the, the millions of people listening know this. I can walk into a supermarket today 
and there's people with masks on. They're, 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 they're doing what they need to do. They're putting our food on the shelves, for crying out loud. They're working the registers. They're earning the minimum wage. Is it too much to ask our so-called representatives to get off their ass and show up for work? This is all a plot. This is a plot to grab power. That's all it is. That's all. You are correct. Do the doctors, do the delivery drivers, do the dispatchers, do they get a proxy in their work? When did Congress not become essential? When did Congress? Did they say that during a yellow fever, the Spanish flu, um, 9-11? No, they didn't because Congress needed to act. But now they have a speaker who wants all the power. So she decided, I'm going to collect all your votes. And you're correct. Twenty members can run the entire Congress now. Congressman, let me tell you this. When the Confederate troops were out at Bull Run, Manassas, Virginia, not once but twice, not far from where you are, on the other side of the Potomac River, Congress met. Now, this is absurd, and I hope you find a judge who has his or her head screwed on right and is serious about their lifetime appointment in the Constitution of the United States. Because as we sit here, Congressman, Our Constitution has been changed by a single person, Nancy Pelosi, just like she changed the impeachment provision of the Constitution for the first time in American history. She is wielding unbridled power. And by the way, I think you'll join me in thanking CNN and MSNBC and the New York Times and the Washington Post for all their investigative reporting on behalf of the American people and representative government. Haven't they done a great job? It's exactly right what they're doing. It's all about power. And if you don't stand up to her, you don't stand up to the Constitution, you're going to lose it. That's why we invoked and put in the lawsuit. We will not stop. Yes, it's going to cost us money, but we're going to fight it. We're going to win back this house. Those who want to join us, takethehouse.com, could be a part of something bigger. We proved that we can win in California. It only takes 17 seats. When we were sworn in this Congress, it took us 19 seats to win the majority. Now only 17. There are 42 other Democrat seats that are better for Republicans to win than the one Mike Garcia just won. I've got one last question for you, and it's this. Um, Where is the bill from these 20 congressmen and women to ensure that our ballots are secure and that our voting is, uh, that our franchise is protected? Have they ever introduced anything to secure the ballots to ensure that people who are supposed to vote should vote? Or do they only introduce legislation that makes it virtually impossible to make sure our system is secure? Yeah, why don't we have ID for individuals to know so we can trust our elections? What they have proposed time and again is exactly what you're talking about. They want to try to beat people in the process, change the game to try to win an outcome that's not true and honest. And that is what's wrong. All right, Kevin McCarthy. Thank you, sir. Keep giving it to him, baby. I will. Thank you. All right. Take care. He has impressed me. Has he impressed you, Mr. Producer? (laughs) Mr. Producer played the best of on Memorial Day. I guess that was... That was the March 2nd, 2017 show, right, Rich? In which I honestly was the first to reveal all this, this spying and the rest going on. And, I, and I'm really, you know, I wasn't in the mood to even listen to that, but it's in the background. My wife's playing it. Somebody's playing it. And I just brutalized him. That is Kevin McCarthy. And I said, we better listen to these best us before we run, because I'll tell you why. I honestly believe that gentleman has transformed into a far more conservative member of Congress as a result of what's taking place in this country today.
I really believe that. And, uh, and I support when somebody moves in that kind of a direction. I really do. And uh, I think he's done that. I think he's fought her like hell. I think he's trying to think of everything he can. The House is different than the Senate. They don't have a filibuster rule. It's majority wins every time. Uh, but uh, this, this latest move is very important. Hopefully a serious judge. Let's hope it doesn't go to uh, Emmett Kelly. I mean Emmett Sullivan. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. You know, as I said yesterday in the opening, you've got two wars going on in this country. The Democrat Party's war as a fifth column within our country and the Cold War with the communist genocidal regime in China. And I'm going to get to them in the last hour, what they're doing to that magnificent place, once magnificent place, Hong Kong, how they're brutalizing those people, how they're destroying that society, destroying that that really, that bastion of liberty and prosperity, it's just incredible. Is there ever going to be a liberal who blames the 100,000 coronavirus deaths on Xi and the Chinese regime? Has the New York Times done that? No. They blame it on Trump. This is how sick these people are. Meanwhile, this moron that runs Twitter, that's right, you jackass, that moron who runs Twitter, worried about what, what Trump says. What about Trump? The Chinese are all over his damn site. The Russians are all over his site. The Iranians, the, the North Korea, they're all over the damn site. But it's Trump, Trump, Trump. Don't believe all this crap, folks. Let me continue. Technology has improved just about everything. Phones, cars, shopping. Yet mattresses have more or less been the same since the invention of sleep. But we deserve better. And finally, the mattress has evolved thanks to Purple. Now, the secret to Purple is the Purple Grid. It's a patented comfort technology that instantly adapts to your body's natural shape and sleep style. Purple is for every body, no matter how you sleep. Purple is designed with over 2,800 open air channels and naturally temperature-neutral gel. You'll never sleep too hot. You'll never sleep too cold. It's just right. The Purple mattress is soft when you want it. Firm when you need it, comfortably cool all over. It's truly a mattress that does it all. And you can count on resting easy night after night, year after year. Because the ultra-durable Purple Grid won't sink or lose shape. Purple is so confident in what they do. 
that every single Purple mattress comes with free shipping and returns and a risk-free, not 90-night trial, 100-night trial. That's more than a, what, quarter of a year. Experience the next evolution of sleep. Go to purple.com slash L-E-V-I-N and use promo code L-E-V-I-N. Happens to be my last name. For a limited time, you'll get $150 off any Purple mattress order of $1,500 or more. That's purple.com slash Levin, promo code Levin. For $150 off any mattress order of $1,500 or more, terms apply. That's purple.com slash L-E-V-I-N and promo code Levin. I do need to finish with Twitter, don't I, Mr. Producer? We've had two fantastic guests, two exclusive interviews. And so I do need to finish with Twitter. How much time do I have left this segment? I have less than two minutes. Let me get started. I want to pick it up. This is very important. Because Twitter holds itself out as this sort of neutral community platform where you can just speak, kind of speak your mind and so forth. Now they've decided that they're going to punish the president as they've been punishing conservatives, conservative groups all along. And there's a reason for this. Because they don't believe in free speech. And as is pointed out at the Washington Examiner by Brad Palumbo, like most big tech companies, Twitter's overwhelmingly staffed with Democrats and liberals. According to OpenSecrets.org, 99.8%. That's up basically 100%, except for the janitor there, of 2020 election donations made from individuals affiliated with Twitter have gone to Democrats. 99.8%. Of donations, anyone affiliated with Twitter has gone to Democrats. You know, how do you hire that way? I mean, I, even if I wanted to hire, if I had a company that big, and I wanted 99.8% of the people I hired to have contributed to Republicans, I don't even think I'd be good enough to get 99.8%, maybe 70%, 60%, 74%, 99.8%. Those are Saddam Hussein numbers over there at Twitter. I want to continue this. I'll be right back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. The establishment's worst nightmare. Mark Levin. Call in now. 877-381-3811. You know, there's a lot of great news sites. CNN, MSNBC, New York Times, Washington Post are not among them. But I've talked about them before. One of the ones I don't talk about enough, quite frankly, is The Blaze. Theblaze.com. And they have a breaking story right now. Because I check it all the time. Theblaze.com, The Bongino Report, Right Scoop, Instapundent. Oh, Mark, I start down this line. I have a whole list of them that are really, really good uh, and that I appreciate. 
But this headline breaking, Trump to sign an executive order aimed at social media companies. President Trump is set to sign an executive order aimed at social media companies, according to a statement made on Wednesday to reporters. White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany made the announcement to reporters during an Air Force One flight from, uh, uh, returning from Florida. On the flight back to Washington, Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany told reporters President Trump is going to sign some kind of executive order on social media. No further details appear to have been offered, but it comes after he lashed out over fact checks on his tweets. I'm sure it'll be carefully lawyered by White House counsel as well as potentially uh, uh, the Justice Department and so forth uh, with the intent of withstanding uh, challenge. One of the things they might want to think about, you know, no brag, just fact, ladies and gentlemen. This is the stuff I know. I'm watching this special on Ulysses S. Grant on the History Channel. And the last of the three uh, shows is tonight. And one of the things they say about Grant, it's quite clear, is he could read a battlefield. He kept this cool. And in the middle of the battle, if he needed to move and change strategies, he did immediately. But he was constantly on the offense. Constantly. And he would beat the opposition generals to the punch. And ultimately, he would beat Lee to the punch. But he also thought outside the box. Not in irrational ways. In incredibly brilliant ways. Now look. This is the way I approach the law. Let's walk through this briefly, shall we, Mr. Producer? I'll get to the commercial. Let's walk through this. If a multi-billion dollar corporation, call it whatever you want, call it ExxonMobil, call it Apple, call it AT&T, call it Twitter. Twitter's a corporation. If a multi-billion dollar corporation is intending to influence an election by censoring speech or by effecting speech in order to benefit one party over another, that could easily be considered an in-kind contribution. Whoa, where'd that come from? That's correct. Not only would it be, or could it be, considered an in-kind contribution, it could be considered an illegal in-kind contribution, since corporations, there are ways for corporations to raise money and make donations through PACs and so forth, but not directly. In other words, there's the Citizens United case, where you can have advocacy, uh, but you can't have direct partisanship, direct participation in politics. Look, I didn't write the rules. This is the way it goes. So, and it's not just Twitter. It's Google, too. The only one who has said he has sworn off this sort of thing is Zuckerberg over there at uh, Facebook. And he came under enormous attacks from the left. The left, which controls the media, the media which is protected under the First Amendment, gets a free shot at the president endlessly. It's called free media. But Twitter's not the press. Twitter is a communications platform. And so as a corporation, it's not covered 
that way. Now, the argument might be, hey, look, they have a First Amendment right and the government can't interfere with them. Which is why it's something to consider what I'm talking about from a campaign perspective. The Democrats love these campaign laws. They send people to prison over these campaigns, mostly, you know, Republicans. But massive corporations are not free to make in-kind contributions in the form of... You remember they kept saying that Trump got something of value when we had these non-disclosure agreements. Remember all this, Mr. Producer? And that was something of value. I remember uh, Judge uh, What's-His-Face, the senior judge. He was going on and on about, that's illegal. (laughs) Well, actually, it wasn't. And it isn't. And it wasn't a thing of value. But that's beside the point. And by the way, I can do this because I love the guy. He's a dear friend. But this is different. This is a major international corporation. Multi-billion dollar corporation. With 99.8% of the people affiliated with Twitter donating to Democrats. Buckling under to what the Democrats in the media and the Democrats generally are demanding. Because the president is challenging mail-in voting. And he's right to do it. I'll leave it to the campaign lawyer experts out there, but I think I'm right. That's their Achilles heel. That's their Achilles heel. What they ought to do, Twitter, is just shut up and say, hey, look, we get complaints from everybody here. We're not going to entertain them. Have a good time. Use our platform and leave us alone. No, no, can't do that. It's one thing if somebody's on there promoting criminality or promoting uh, pornography. I got all that. We're not talking about that. Speech is speech. Now, you watch how they try and twist this, that the President of the United States is attacking speech. Hey, he's attacking free speech. What's his authority for that? I don't know. You on the left attack free speech all the time, whether it's through campaign laws or worse. You've created the tools of your own demise. You're such morons, you don't even understand it. But I understand it. Why? Because I see the battlefield. The legal and the constitutional battlefield. It was I, on this radio show, loudly, and on Fox, who encouraged, in the case of Mike Flynn, a writ of prohibition, or a writ of mandamus. I preferred prohibition, but they included it. They didn't call it a writ of prohibition, but they explained it. That the judge had no jurisdiction in the case of Emmett Sullivan. And a writ of mandamus... Because this is what I do. I know the legal battlefield. I know the constitutional battlefield. That's why on March 2nd, on March 5th, and March 6th of 2017, I saw the legal and constitutional battlefield. The leaks. Where they were coming from. Who benefited. Who didn't benefit. It's just the way it is. Folks, write this down. Blindster. That's Blindster.com. And I'm so glad I found Blindster.com, the best window treatment company there is. You know, I even went to Blindster.com and we placed an order, and I couldn't believe how easy it was to measure and install blinds. And let me tell you something. If I can do it, anybody can do it. And they're beautiful. And they're beautiful. Blindster.com founder Kyle Cox is a down-to-earth, regular guy. This is a family-owned business. 
His reputation means everything to him. The brand of his little company means everything to him. He's personable, and he's setting the new standard for customer service. Kyle and his team are so confident you can do it yourself that if for any reason your blinds don't fit, even if you didn't measure correctly, Blindster will remake the blinds in the different size needed, free of charge. You only pay shipping. Now, what does that mean? I'll tell you what that means. That means they're going to lose money on your purchase. But they want you to be happy. If you can use a tape measure and a screwdriver, you can install the highest quality custom shade shutters and blinds and save a bundle. So go to blindster.com right now. Use promo code MARK at checkout. You'll get 35% off, but you have to use my name. That's blindster.com, blindster.com, promo code MARK. Get 35% off right now, blindster.com, promo code MARK. Twitter, I'll hit it again and then I'm sick of it. I want to move on, but I wanted to give you some additional information. And the president said Twitter's now interfering in the 2020 election. I believe they are too. I believe they are too. He's saying, they're saying my statement on mail-in ballots, which will lead to massive corruption and fraud, is incorrect based on fact-checking by fake news CNN and Amazon Washington Post. So they use CNN and the Washington Post, which are Democrat Party uh, platforms. They just are. To fact-check the president. First of all, they don't need to fact-check anything. This is an issue of advocacy. They don't need to fact-check a damn thing. I don't know, do they fact-check Joe Scarborough, Mika Brzezinski? I mean, normally. Do they fact-check Donnie Lemon? Jake Tapdown? Fredo Cuomo? If they did, they'd be very, very busy. But no, because 99.8% of the people affiliated with them are Democrats. While Twitter is hardly censoring Trump, writes Brad Palumbo at Palumbo at the uh, Washington Examiner, Uh, He did react by bashing the social media company. For one, it's hard to see why anyone, regardless of his or her political persuasion, ought to trust Twitter employees to serve as some sort of unbiased referee or arbiter of the truth. And he points out their their Democrat affiliations. And uh, it's hardly surprising to see wild examples emerge as Twitter's head of site integrity, which is responsible for rule enforcement, being exposed for tweeting that Trump officials are actual Nazis, calling Senate Majority Leader McConnell a personality-free bag of F-A-R-T-S. I'm not going to pronounce it. This is their head of uh, responsible rule enforcement. Now you see why Trump is, is right on. He's on to something. It's just unreasonable for us to rely on these people to fact-check politically controversial statements posted to Twitter's platform. Even if it tries to be fair, and I'm willing to assume it would, writes the the author, unconscious bias will push almost all its errors, missteps, and blind spots against right-of-center figures. Likewise, how can Twitter fact-check statements consistently? It's odd that Twitter has singled out for fact-checking a controversial presidential tweet on elections but not his tweets pushing the Joe Scarborough conspiracy. And I addressed that the other day too, didn't I? I suggest the truth. Joe Scarborough really is a slimeball. 
But he's a slimeball. But no, he didn't kill anybody. That would have been Ted Kennedy. But that's a whole other issue. It's a whole other story. I don't need to get into Trapaquitic right now. Uh, but that said, what do you mean killing? Well, he left the scene of an accident when the person in the car was drowning. I don't know what you would call that. Oops, a mistake. I have a suggestion, morning schmo, you reprobate and the missus. Why don't you take back all the things you said about the president, his life, his family, his friends, and call a truce? Why don't you do something like that? Because you won't, will you, Joe? Joe won't do that. And the reason why Mark Hemingway got it right at the Federalist, it's kind of what I was talking about, actually, prior to his article on the air, which was we had almost three years of a Russia collusion conspiracy theory imposed on the nation, and Twitter didn't do a damn thing about it. Not a damn thing, and it affected the entire country. The entire country. No labels there, nothing there. Uh, The Praetorian Guard media protected one another, and they actually participated in the conspiracy. So a lot of us really don't care about Joe and Mika and MSNBC and CNN. We care more about our country. It's like we don't care about all the media because, oh, the president's not wearing a mask. I don't care if he's wearing a mask. By the way, I might say this. Hillary Clinton might have had a better chance at the last election, Mr. Producer, had she worn a mask. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. MSNBC is the sister station of the NBC network, all of it's owned by Comcast. Now, I don't think the president should keep reaching into the toilet to pull out Joe Scarborough as a punching bag. I just don't think it helps him. But that said, I want to remind you of a few things. In my book, Unfreedom of the Press, on page 72, I quote a lot of these reporters and what they've said about our president. But let me just quote Joe Scarborough a few times. When Trump goes out there and whips people up, it's like a Mussolini rally. And yes, that's what I said. Joe Scarborough, March 12, 2018. It's our responsibility to call out those times when constitutional norms are being challenged. Those times when the President of the United States actually channels Joseph Stalin and calls the media the enemy of the people. Joseph Scarborough, March 8, 2018. So far, Trump is Mussolini and he's Stalin. Here we have Joe Scarborough, June 15, 2018. Under Trump, children are being marched away to showers, just like the Nazis said they were taking people to the showers, and then they never came back. Joe Scarborough. More Joe Scarborough, November 30, 2017. Trump is completely detached from reality. People close to him say he's mentally unfit, that people close to him during the campaign told me he had early stages of dementia. Mika Brzezinski, June 18, 2018. He will forever remember it as the president who traumatized little children. 
That's his brand now. He's the president who purposefully traumatized babies and children, and he traumatized them for the political game uh, again or to look like Kim Jong-un. Joe Scarborough, October, and this is, I didn't even go for all of it. Joe Scarborough, October 29, 2018. I can't even call him president, this demagogue, this nationalist. Kim Jong-un, Stalin, Nazis, Mussolini. And Joe Scarborough still has a job. Still has a job. You think this president, Donald Trump, you think this man likes having to deal with these people? But he's had enough. This has gone on three years where Scarborough and Brzezinski are just, you know, machine gunning with the most vile things the president. I don't think he believes Scarborough did anything, but he's slamming him back. No, I don't like it by any of them. But our president of the United States, once again, he's the victim. He didn't pick out Scarborough and Brazil every day, day in and day. And they're not alone. I got Brian Stelter in here endlessly. <clears throat> Everyone at CNN and MSM, it's the same thing. Do they know what Stalin did? Of course they do. Do they know what Mussolini and Hitler did? Of course they do. Do they know what the Nazis, of course they Then how can you call this man any of those things? And nobody's outraged but us. They're not outraged in any newsroom in the country. None of them. Now, this man's been the victim of espionage by the prior president and his administration. The buck stops with Obama, okay? Harry Truman was right. The buck stops at the president's desk. Espionage. Fake warrants. Leaks. Prosecutions. Coup attempts. Unbelievable. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post... Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. I know I've been very bad at taking calls. It's just there's so much going on here, folks. So much going on here. I want to get to China, but before I do, Wikipedia. Same thing. The left, the left, it's, they're like cockroaches. They just work their way in. And they control and they destroy and they crap all over the place. 
There's a piece in the Daily Wire. Conservatives have long been blowing the whistle on Wikipedia's leftist bias. Now, I will tell you this. Nobody's been more outspoken about how awful Wikipedia is than I. If you go to Mark Levin on Wikipedia, and I encourage you to do it, it is a disgrace. You will not recognize me. It is awful. And you can see the editor or editors. They're all leftists. And this is how you destroy somebody's reputation. This is why I never use Wikipedia. Now, in a blog post last week, the co-founder of Wikipedia, Larry Sanger, he argued that Wikipedia has abandoned all neutrality in the name of avoiding what activist journalists call the false balance. The idea that not all opposing views of an argument should be given equal time. He goes through several pages to support his thesis, noting the rather charged language often employed. When comparing the pages for former President Barack Obama to the current President Donald Trump, the differences are night and day, with the former receiving overwhelming positive treatment, while the latter is frequently portrayed negatively. I'm serious. Go check me out there. Quote, the Barack Obama article completely fails to mention many well-known scandals, Benghazi, the IRS scandal, the AP phone record scandal, Fast and Furious, to say nothing of Solyndra or Hillary Clinton email server scandal, or of course the developing Obamagate story, which Obama was personally involved in surveilling Donald Trump, argued Sanger. A fair article about a major political figure certainly must include the bad with the good, he said. The only scandals that I could find that were mentioned were a few that the left finds at least a little scandalous, such as Snowden's revelations about NSA activities under Obama. In short, the article is almost a total whitewash, he says. Though some might claim the information is objectively correct, Sanger asserted that nobody can claim they are objectively neutral. In contrast to Obama's glowing treatment, Trump is treated as if he does only wrong. He said the idea that the Donald Trump article is neutral is a joke. Just for example, there are 5,224 none-too-flattering words in the presidency section. By contrast, the following public profile, which the Obama article entirely lacks under investigations and impeachment sections, are unrelentingly negative and together add up to some 4,545 words. In other words, the controversy sections are almost as long as the sections about his presidency. They do the same to me. Common words of the article are false and falsely, 46 instances, he writes. Wikipedia frequently asserts in its own voice that many of Trump's statements are false. Well, perhaps they are, but even if they are, he says, it's not exactly neutral for an encyclopedia article to say so, especially without attribution, he continued. You might approve of Wikipedia describing Trump's incorrect statements as false very well, but then you must admit that you no longer support policy of neutrality on Wikipedia. Now, after going through several more pages, including some rather biased language in reference to the existence of Jesus Christ and the abortion argument, Sanger concludes by calling on Wikipedia to just come clean and admit it no longer practices fair neutrality. Now, this is what I said in Unfreedom of the Press about the media. CNN should just say, we're a Democrat news organization. I mean, that's what 98% we were with the Democrats. That's who we are. That's a, but they have no integrity. They have no honesty whatsoever. Say who you are. But they don't. Because they're liars. All right, China. China is our enemy. I've been doing stories on China, really on Levin TV for four, 
over four years. I've done a few shows on China now early on and most recently on Fox. And we talk about China here on the radio. And uh, China is the enemy. We have many enemies, but it is a big enemy. And the President of the United States saw this early on. Now, here's the thing. Before I get to what Pompeo has said and the situation in Hong Kong, which is a dire, here is a piece from March 26th in the Daily Mail. The United States would lose a war with China fought in the Pacific, is unable to defend Taiwan from an invasion, and fears the Guam military base, that's our territory, is at risk now, U.S. defense sources have warned. Eye-opening Pentagon war games have revealed growing fears the United States is vulnerable to threats from China and that any attack would lead to the United States suffering capital losses, the sources, in other words, massive losses. The wearing analysis is expected to come to light in the Pentagon's 2020 China Military Power Report this summer. The stark warning comes as tensions continue to mount between the two nations. The USS Ronald Reagan. The U.S. would lose a war with China fought in the Pacific. As, oh, I already said that. The threat is more immediate than 2030, as originally thought. However, with every U.S. base in the Indo-Pacific Command region considered to be at risk of attack now because China has ramped up its supply of medium-range ballistic missiles. The U.S. island territory, Guam, home to three U.S. military bases, a particular concern the games revealed. China's long-range anti-ship ballistic missiles and hypersonic, that's more than five times the speed of sound, missiles. Analysis from U.S. experts in China have similar warnings. Bonnie Glazier, director of the China Power Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington, a consultant to the U.S. government on East Asia, told the Times that Taiwan is the most volatile issue between the two nations and fierce tensions could erupt into a nuclear war. Taiwan has increasingly found itself caught in the middle of the political games between the two superpowers, they write. China has taken advantage of the world's struggle with COVID-19 to mount a disturbing display of military firepower and push its claims to, to land in the South China Sea. What they're doing, <coughs> they've got two more aircraft carriers that are coming online within the next 18 to 24 months. They're going to have three aircraft carrier forces in and around the South China Sea where we have one. Plus the fake islands that have been militarized. Plus enormous missile batteries and so forth on their, uh, on their eastern front towards the South China Sea. The South China, the South China Sea is international waters. It's their navigable waters throughout the Pacific. China has threatened Indonesia. China has threatened Vietnam. It's taken out some of its fishing ships. The Philippines have become a very, very weak ally with this nut job Durante or whatever the hell his name is. Fancies himself an ally of, uh, of Xi. We've got big problems here. In addition to this, China has now secured major bases in Africa, 
by giving them massive loans, which they can't pay off, and the collateral are these docks and these bases. They're even in our hemisphere now. It is a Chinese state company that controls both ends of the Panama Canal. Does this sound like a country that uh, just wants to be left alone? And as I speak, they are ravaging the little island of Hong Kong. A free people, a free economy. I believe the administration now understands that the paper they sign with China isn't worth the ink. China signed a deal with Great Britain. One China, two systems. That was to last for decades and decades. China has decided now that it rebuked that deal. And it doesn't make any apologies. The media in our country are on the wrong side. 100,000 deaths, they say. And there's Trump playing golf. That's their focus. No, 100,000 deaths, ladies and gentlemen. And China has blood on its hands. It's the Wuhan China virus. They did this. China did this. And then we have some idiot politicians like Cuomo and Murphy and Newsom, you know, pushing people into nursing homes. All right, but I'm talking about the big picture. Now this from Reuters. U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said today China had undermined Hong Kong's autonomy so fundamentally that the territory no longer warranted special treatment under U.S. law, a potentially big blow to its status as a major financial hub. Pompeo's certification to the U.S. Congress follows China's announcement of a plan to impose new national security legislation on Hong Kong. Now, what does that mean? Well, what do you think it means? Any protesters are enemies of the state. What they mean is enemies of the Communist Party. Much like in our country. You've got to think of party first if you're a Democrat. Or if you're a Republican looking at the Democrat. They don't put country first. It's party first. Same with the Communists in China. It's not China first. It's the Communist Chinese Party that comes first. They're one and the same in their mind. And so they're doing mass arrests, as I speak, in Hong Kong, particularly of young people. Um, Firing tear gas, water cannons. It's just appalling. The President of the United States ultimately will decide what what the sanctions are. But look at the position he's in. It's very, very difficult. China is now a world class power. And so I have a question for you, America. The Praetorian Guard fawning media, protecting Barack Obama and Joe Biden. This genocidal communist regime in China. Eight years. What did the New York Times have to say about this at any time during the eight years? The Washington Post, CNN, nothing. And so yet again, the President of the United States, Donald Trump, inherits a disaster and tries to deal with it. And what do they do? Try to destroy him. He called it the Chinese virus. He must be a right Chinese virus. 
Joe Scarborough must be right. He must be a Nazi. He must be Hitler. He must be Stalin. And by the way, Joe, as a side point, would you prefer that? Maybe what the president should do is stop with the silly conspiracy theory and just call you Hitler the way you called him Hitler. Would you like that? Maybe call you a Nazi the way you called him a Nazi. Would you prefer that? I'd be curious. Feel free to call in and let us know. This is a deadly serious matter. You know why the President of the United States put together a space force? I'll tell you why. To deal with China and Russia. Particularly China. China has attacked satellites up in space. They have killer satellites. What China learned from the Iraq war, how fast we rolled through Iraq, was that we rely heavily on these GPS systems. You know, you have them for your phones and your... But our military relies on them. It's like the advanced radar. And it helps us set up a battlefield. It helps us with our various battleships. It speaks to our uh, fighter jets and our bombers. And China figured out, not only can we do that, but if we knock their eyes out in space, they're lost. So what do they do? They put killer satellites up in space. What did Barack Obama do about it? Nothing. He opposed having a system in space to thwart or even engage what the Chinese and the Russians have been doing. So the President of the United States, Trump, is trying to play catch-up now. That's why we have a space force now, just so you know. We should have had one a long time ago. This man's not giving credit for anything. Anything. When the Democrats come in, they immediately attack the military. And I ask you this, people who are kind of never Trumpers, but a little soft on that, you don't like the way the president tweets or some of the things he says, I have a question for you. Who do you think our enemies support for president of the United States? Communist China? Fascist Russia? Fascist Iran? Communist North Korea? Who do you think they support? They support Joe Biden. There's no issue. They support the Democrat Party. They support Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Who do you think the Palestinian Authority and Hamas want to see elected president of the United States? Joe Biden. They support Pelosi. They support Schumer. Oh, yeah, all of them. That should be your limits test. Who our enemies want as president, as speaker, as leader of the Senate, and who they don't. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. 
And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Ladies and gentlemen, the radical progressivism, or statism, as I called it in Liberty and Tyranny, and the Democrat Party are extraordinarily dangerous. They create poverty. They create disunity. They create tumult and turmoil. They create jealousies and hate. They undermine our national security. In addition to being leftist theoreticians, they are incompetence. They are buffoonish. They're impractical as they seek the impossible. Now I sound like Jesse Jackson here. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. can clone the others, but there's only one, Mark Levin, and you can call him at 877-381-3811. I'm actually going to take a couple calls before I finish this program, but before I do that, there was a piece the other day in the Wall Street Journal by Van Gordon Souter, one-time president of CBS News. He said, news organizations that claim to be neutral have long been creeping leftward, and their loathing of Mr. Trump has accelerated the pace. The news media are catching up with the liberalism of the professoriate, the entertainment industry, upscale magazines, and the literary world. Recent arrivals are the late-night TV hosts who have broken the boundaries of what was considered acceptable political humor for networks. To many journalists, objectivity, balance, and fairness, once the gold standard of reporting, are not mandatory in a divided political era, and in a country they believe to be severely flawed. That assumption folds neatly into their assessment of this president. 
To the journalists, including more than a few Republicans, he is a blatant vulgarian, an incessant provocateur, and a dangerous leader who should be ousted next January, if not sooner. Much of journalism has become the clarion voice of the resistance dedicated to ousting the president, even though he was legally elected, and according to the polls, enjoys the support of about 44% of likely 2020 voters. This poses significant problems, not only for Mr. Trump, but for the media's own standing. If Mr. Trump prevails in November, what's the next act, if any, for journalists and the resistance? They'll likely find Mr. Trump more dangerous and offensive in a second term than in the first. More important, how will a large segment of the public ever put stock in journalism if it considers hostile to the country's best interests? Unfortunately, dominant media organizations have bonded with another large segment of the population, one that embraces its new approach. Pulling back from anti-Trump activism could prove commercially harmful. You see, folks, we've been talking about this. Let's just take CNN and MSNBC. They have no way out now. They are the platform for the so-called resistance, that is, the hardcore left-wing Democrats. They couldn't go back to true journalism if they wanted to, and they don't want to, don't get me wrong. And during this pandemic, attacking Trump, insisting on shutdowns, insisting on closures, their ratings have never been higher. On the other hand, he writes, how would the media respond to a Joe Biden victory beyond exhilaration? Will Mr. Biden be subjected to the rigor and skepticism imposed on Trump? Will he get a pass because he's a liberal and not Trump? The media's protective coverage of the sexual assault allegation against Mr. Biden is perhaps a clear and concerning preview to how his presidency would be covered. He goes on, there's probably no way to seal the gap between the media and a large segment of the public. The media like what it's doing. They admire it and celebrate it. There's no personal, professional, or financial reason to change. If anything, the gap will get worse. Ultimately, the media finds the deplorables deplorable. Journalism affects social cohesion, he says. Convinced of its role and its legitimacy, however, the media doesn't seem much to care. And the other side can certainly enjoy throwing rotten tomatoes at distant targets. But America won't reunite until far more people can look at a news story in print or on the screen and all things believe it. I want to encourage you, not because it's going to make a big difference to me, I want to encourage you to get your copy of Unfreedom of the Press right now. If you haven't gotten a copy of it for yourself, get it for a family member, a friend. Father's Day, I don't much care. It lays this out in spades, chapter and verse. Chapter and verse. So you'll be extremely articulate in explaining this in the upcoming, as we move to the election, Because we're going to need each and every one of you to be Thomas Paine. Thomas Paine. We're going to need you very, very badly. By the way, I went on there and looked, as I often do, at Rescuing Sprite. Amazon has no more hardbacks of Rescuing Sprite. Period. Only paperbacks and e-books. Too bad, but it's been there for a while. Been there for a while. You know, when you lose, I wasn't even going to get into this, 
but it, it's just a dark cloud. When you lose a little doggy buddy like a Barney, as many of you know, the mornings and the nights are the worst. They just are. They're the worst. All right, let's go. Let's do this. Scott, Evansville, Indiana, the great WGBF. Go right ahead, sir, please. Mark, good evening. Good evening. This is uh, Scott. I'm from Indiana. And I just wanted to say I uh, certainly love your show. But, you know, one thing that's really been bothering me for, for uh, a few years, once Trump became president, I thought, you know, when he got elected, I had no idea he was going to turn out to be the type of president he is. I, I, we were so lucky to have him. Very, me too. And, you know, I'm thrilled. Well, you know, kind of as an analogy, I mean, kind of like Ty Cobb or Pete Rose in baseball, these guys were absolutely world-class and the best at their jobs. A little rough around the edges maybe, but just perfect for what they do. And that's the way I look at Trump. And our country is so lucky to have him in the position he's in. I just can't believe that half of our countrymen don't seem to see that. They don't want to see it. Well, here's, here's what's going on. Half of the country supports Trump, or some give or take, and that's without a media behind us. That's without colleges and universities behind us. That's without the culture and entertainment behind us. See, they own all of that. And they have to beat people into submission. They have to lie to them, propagandize to them endlessly. They have to indoctrinate them. They have to bombard them day in and day out in order to get their 50%. We are the independent thinking people, you and me, all of us. We're the independent thinking people. We're the ones who really have to figure stuff out. We don't have these, uh, these powerful forces in our society backing our position, backing our president. So we have the opposite. And uh, there's a lot of ways to explain this. I've written at length about it. I talk about it a lot. It's not going to do us any good for me to do it in three and a half minutes right now. But the fact is, whatever the reason, we must defeat it. Because if we don't defeat it, it's going to defeat us. It's that simple. I want to thank you for your call, Scott. Thank you for holding on as you did. Sarah, Dayton, Ohio, Sirius Satellite. How are you? Hello, Sarah. Yeah, hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> that was quick. Um, yep. I was just wondering about, I know back when like coal mining towns and oil town, oil companies were building their little towns, there was a, late, a Jehovah Witness that got arrested on, 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 right in front of the post office. And they said they arrested her because she was not allowed to exert her First Amendment um, because it was not, it was owned by the oil company or the coal mining company, but then I think it went to the Supreme Court, and they said that it, in fact, is considered a town square, no matter who it was built by. I just wondered if... By, by the way, ever go to an airport? There they are, standing there. And you got to give them credit. They stand there all day long. I don't know how they do it. Oh, oh, they come to them. They're around my neighborhood all the time. But, you know, but that's their thing, and they're allowed to do that. But... With the same, if I and I don't remember the details of everything, but didn't it go to the Supreme Court and they said, but wouldn't Twitter and Facebook be like a town square? 
um, in Mon- Oh, I, I can't predict what the Supreme Court would say or town squ- <clears throat> what it would be at Town Square. It's a private company. It's not. It's not an airport. It's not. A, it's not a public place. And uh, as I say, the way I see this is, I would. There may be other ideas, but off the top of my head, as I was sitting here, I'd view this as a uh, campaign violation. It's an in-kind contribution, and worse than that, it's an illegal in-kind contribution since corporations are not free to give these kinds of in-kind con- contributions. If, 90, if 99.8% of your uh, Twitter-related individuals have donated to Democrats and um, you're taken off from the President of the United States when we've had three years of phony Russia collusion, provable phony Russia collusion uh, stories, and they never got labeled, and now what you're trying to do uh, prior to a general election is to affect the outcome, I would, I would argue, because they buckle under the pressure from Democrats and Democrats and the liberal media. And look who they're using, CNN and the Washington Post. That should tell you everything you want to know. That would be my take. Okay. Well, I just wondered about that. And thank you so much for everything you do. We well, everything I do? Gee, I don't know about that. But thank you very much. I appreciate that. All right. What the hell did I do with the call screen? Oh, there it is. Let us go to Sam, Brooklyn, New York, the great WABC. Quickly, Sam, go right ahead. Hello, Sam. Hey. Sam, I hey, can. Mark. Yeah. Hey, Mark. First, you're you're on the air, brother. Go. Thank you. First, yeah, usually I'm listening to you the day after because I'm not driving this time. So right. I'm usually driving at night, at middle of the day. I'm hearing, but now I got the time to talk to you. Thank you. Um, about China, um, yes. really, I see in my industry, I'm in, a, I'm in a cabinet company. I see my industry basically moved away or everything from China. But mm-hmm. do you think even we can move uh, more of the industry will move away and Trump can, can make them move away? I, I, I think the way you, quote unquote, make them move away is any company that is headquartered in China or has a some kind of facility in China, uh, you, you strongly encourage them to come back with economic carrots, and they'll come back. Uh, and you also shame them that at this point it's a national security is, issue. I've always said with China and the tariffs for me, it's different than Canada, different than Mexico, different than any country on the face of the earth. I'm not a tariff guy, but with China, I'm a big tariff guy. Because it's a national security issue. They're trying to destroy us. They're stealing, they're stealing us blind. And enough is enough. And this president saw it long before anybody else saw it. Obviously, Barack Obama saw nothing. Biden saw nothing. They were blind to this. And if Biden's elected president, you're going to hear cheers out of Beijing. You're going to hear cheers out of yeah. Moscow. You're going to hear cheers from the Palestinian Authority and Hamas. In Iran, all of our enemies are going to be thrilled because they know Biden is a fool. Thank you for your call, my friend. I'll be right back. Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. 
More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. You know, we've been hammering this, this issue of Cuomo and other governors who, who did such a grave, horrific disservice to the elderly in their states. It's almost unspeakable. And I know people talk about it now who hadn't talked about it when they should have and tried to stop this. But this is heart-wrenching to have a mother or a grandmother or sister or not, who's frail and elderly in a nursing home. And then the government, the governor, insists that they accept individuals coming out of hospitals who have coronavirus positive tests. Now, none of us would have done that. None of us. And so I asked Mr. Producer... I guess it was yesterday, Rich. I said, go up on the, uh, CDC, the, on the New York Department of Health site and pull down that directive again. I think it was March, what was it? March 25th. It's not there anymore. I said, it's not there anymore. Do we have it? Yes, we kept the co- a picture of it. Because, you know, we posted it on Facebook and Twitter. We posted it on my website. We posted the link, but the link is gone. So now we have the picture. These bastards are trying to cover their tracks. Cuomo's come up with every cockamamie argument you can possibly think of. And the last one is Trump made him do it. Trump made him do it. Well, Trump didn't make DeSantis do it. Trump didn't make Kemp do it. Trump didn't make any governor do it. And yet Andrew Cuomo has very, very high ratings in New York. And I know many of you who listen to this program in New York are as disgusted with him as everybody else is. The problem is you're outnumbered. You're outnumbered. You're outnumbered in New York. You're outnumbered in New Jersey. You're outnumbered in Illinois. You're outnumbered in California. You're outnumbered in Michigan. I could go on and on, and yet you have to live with the consequences of what these fools do. And not only that, you have to pay for it. But now it's reached to the point where they're endangering your lives. Now, I said the communist Chinese regime is responsible for 100,000 dead Americans. That's true, but there is a footnote. Many people have died as a result of the policies that were put in place by some of these individuals who should pay a price for it. I want to salute all you heroes out there, and you know who you are, and I want to say goodnight to my little Barney. 
and I'll see you all tomorrow. God bless. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.